0: Okay, sit down. So, why am I here? You don't know who I am. I was asked specifically to come here, and you don't know who I am. Alec? Oh no, (laughs) Alec Guinness. Don't mistake me for that fool. I'm David Lean, the filmmaker. David Lean.
3: Oh, Mr. Lean, uh, welcome. I hear you're uh, a very nice person to be around. Don't
0: talk to me like that. Don't speak to me until I'm spoken to, my man. I apologize. Were you (laughs) spoken to? Uh, Yes. Ah, you're sharp. I like you. I was dragged down here by Alec Guinness, of course. A fool. He's a fool. To talk about movies, you watched one of my movies last week, Great Expectations. We did. Yes. What do you think? It was very good. Mm, of course mm. it was. Yes. I made it.
3: Yes. <laughs> what? <laughs> you and? are into. Why is Jason never here? Do you know
0: why I make these movies? Sexual pleasure. Well, yes. I mean, we all do that. But I make these movies primarily because. As a British person, as a person who was raised a certain way by certain types of people, I do not like anyone. Checks out? And every film I make is another rung in my own personal ladder of misery to show the world these people that I detest so. I want them to know that no one, no one can be trusted, no one is lovable, everyone is out to get you, and then someday, your best friend, your pastor, or even your mother will come up behind you with a steel knife and slit open your throat and let you bleed on the floor like a stuck pig. That, my friend, is the thesis of my entire career.
3: Wow, that's, uh, that's quite an upbeat way yes. to get,
0: get the show on the road here. Mm. So, did you have expectations of a certain level? I had... When you watched
3: my film. Great expectations.
0: Mm, I thought you'd say that. hmm mm-hmm, mm. mm-hmm. So, now that I've explained to you my... Well, my... I guess my modus operandi, my, my, my joie de vivre, such that it is in being miserable, mm-hmm. can I go and be miserable elsewhere now? Are you finished with me? Yeah, go ahead. Might I have yeah. your permission
3: to leave? You can leave.
0: Mm. It's a good thing ghosts can't kill humans because you'd you'd be on my oh, list. Oh, I'd be
3: dead week three. Anyways,
0: toodaloo.
3: <sighs> Jason, you need to get here on time. What happened? Every single week. No, I am putting my foot down right now. Every single week. We have these get, we have these celebrity guests introducing our podcast. Mm. And it's all well and good, and they're yeah. dead, and they're super dead, and you know they're always super rude and they're mean to me, or they're scary, mm. and you're never
0: here to back me up. You ever wonder why I'm not here? Do you think I want to deal with a bunch of rude asshole? I work, I work retail, Brendan. It's my day. I don't need it at fucking podcast time. That's a me time. That's a two percent work, Jason, and ninety eight percent Brendan time. <laughs> That's right. You cry. You cry as you edit. This is a podcast. About British film. Called for screen. And country.
3: And and I was just going to say what it was called again.
0: <laughs> and country. <laughs>
3: for screen and country and country and screens. And screen and countries and by God, the screen of country and That's the right. country screen. Country screens, my favorite. <laughs> country screens. Show me movies that are British
0: In nature, Great Expectations was a movie (laughs) that we watched (laughs) on a country screen. So,
3: so we talk about movies from the British Film Institute. Top 100 British films of all British time. We do. uh, As composed in the year of our Lord, 1999. The last good year. Yes, The Last Tire. Yeah. I uh, went downhill after that. And we were talking about a very interesting film this week. Mm. I think it's one of the more one of the ones I was looking forward to talking about. One one that we both probably
0: had a lot of preconceived notions about.
3: Yeah, and we'll definitely get into that. But before we get <laughs> into what we what we were gonna talk about, before we get into the film we were about to talk about, we need to talk about last week's film, which is of course the David Lean epic Great Expectations some comments jason some let's, comments let's talk about them. let's talk about listener comments what do they have to say they've got stuff to say but what we're gonna find out today yay doesn't matter if you're straight or gay. really doesn't. Or whatever orientation that you are.
0: We're getting really into the weeds on this.
3: I almost said that you pick, and I realized how <laughs> controversial that would have been. Brendan
0: taking a stand.
3: Yeah. Let's just uh, backspace, backspace.
0: And we're looking at comments. Control-S. Comments about great expectations. And the expectations were great for this movie, and I think... It held up. (laughs) What does our first commenter have to say? Well, of the four people that chose to comment today, our Mm -hmm. first commenter is Kenneth Mc... uh, uh, Kenneth Mc... uh, Kenneth Hmm. McAlenden? McAlenden? I thought you were going to say McAlenas for a -a second. I feel like that A should be in front of the the C, and then we just have McLinden and then everything's not a problem anymore. But you know what? I'm not here to criticize your name, Ken. Uh, (laughs) We're here to hear your comment. Jason's just roasting people. (laughs) Ken says, a wonderful adaptation with a great cast and absolutely beautiful cinematography from Guy Green. Colors right in the name. How can you not trust a cinematographer whose name is a color?
3: Yeah, and David Lean. David Lean and Guy Green. Holy shit, Did you ever hear that song, Lean Back? Lean back to where you once belonged. Sure,
0: that's about David Lean. <laughs> um, our next comment, Jason, it's our old buddy. Serial commenter, Hall of Fame commenter. Adam Pellman.
3: Mr. Pellman. AP. Adam, if you're nasty. um, He says, one of the best film adaptations of all time. It's got such wonderful sets and atmospheric cinematography. It's one of the few films I've ever seen and thought, this is what it looked like in my mind when I was reading it. I love that moment when Abel Magwitch first appears out of the fog in the graveyard.
0: Mm, That is a nice moment.
3: I am a non educated book reader so i've never read the book okay um but uh yeah i can imagine that it would be like exactly as it was. i would also
0: uh in my mind i can imagine a world (laughs) where that is true
3: yes um but i do i think we talked about that too i do love the fog in that opening scene and the way that's kind of laid out with the objects in the foreground to make it seem like stuff was you know more vast than than i'm sure the budget allowed it to be Mm. Um, and that's David Lean in a nutshell. Yes, sir. No, this is David Lean in a nutshell. Help! I'm a bloody
0: great big director, and I'm stuck in a nutshell. Nutshell, let me out. Today's Austin Powers reference brought to you by 2002. J F. And that's not that's the, the initial. He's, he's, this is an Alcoholics Anonymous. That's his name. Uh, J says this. In fact, it's two letters. It could be two letters. J F. Just like he's just you know like John Fogerty. Or Julie Does Fran- John Fogarty listened to our podcast? Or it could be Joel Francis. I don't know who that is. Or Julie Fatima. See John Fogarty's a real guy. I These don't. are just names you're making up. Anyways, let's get back to Jay. Jay says this is my favorite Great Expectations. I don't know how many there are. How many are there? There's probably quite a few adaptations. Including D- South- and Dickens' is public domain now, so you don't need to ask anybody. Including South Park. Yeah, exactly. Nothing even comes close to me, save for maybe the first 20 minutes or so of the Curion moderation. Yeah, Qu- the organization. Quaron. Cuaron. Alfonso Quaron.
3: Which, um, well, spoiler alert, we will eventually talk about that movie.
0: Is there a scene where uh, the two kids are jerking off on surfboards? Not surfboards, diving boards? And have, uh, that Great Expectations? I'm
3: what? going to assume, yes. Okay, until good. we watch it uh
0: once they leave florida it's kind of a hot mess but the florida stuff is really beautiful and skirts up to the heart of the novel florida stuff yeah i guess they're in florida for part of the
3: remake the remake not this one jason oh they're in florida <laughs> in the remake oh, i suppose it's an international world it's it, global it's a, it's like a modernized version i think
0: it's uh, uh great expectations but for anyone
3: and we're gonna see Gwynnie come back too yeah oh, yay Hey, she was great in Shakespeare. In she Love. was. She really
0: was. I can't deny that.
3: Okay, our last comment is from another uh, frequent listener, longtime listener, longtime commenter Sharon. Sharon Horwood. Sharon. And she says, I have now watched the movie because she just, I guess she just. She heard about us doing this, and she's like, I really want to watch this movie. thank you for that
0: kind of due diligence, Sharon. I don't
3: expect that of any of our listeners, but appreciate it. (laughs) Yeah, she took the time to watch the movie. I'm assuming on the greatest streaming platform there is, the Criterion Channel. Absolutely. Of which they are not a sponsor, but I do love them. They are very good. Uh, So, yeah, I have watched the movie, and there are a number of things I really like. Everything to do with Miss Havisham. The costumes, the hair, the production design are all on point.
0: And we we pointed that out. That house is so well- made and looks so beautiful in the black and white and, and so dark the design of miss havisham yeah. is
3: amazing yes. she is a, like the spinster of our time she is the spinster of all spinders, the uber spinster you might say she takes an uber to, she drives she drives an uber to, to spin class
2: yeah. <laughs> yeah
3: and jason the last thing we do on this show this is all the comments thank you very much uh to you 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 and yeah you too oh yeah um the last thing we do is we compare this to the AFI list. So, Great Expectations is number five on the BFI Top 100. Very high. The fifth greatest British film of all time. What's crazy, it's not even the highest rated David Lee movie. No. Um, but we look at the fifth greatest American film of all time on the AFI Top 100 as of 2007. And that is Singing in the Rain. And I'm assuming you've never seen it. Nope. Have you?
0: Yeah. Oh, good. Yeah. What would you think? Uh <laughs> <laughs> Break it down to me for the next forty-five <laughs> yeah, minutes. Yeah, give me, give me, give me the, give me the summary like I used to do. Um, no, I,
3: I love Singing in the Rain. If I mean, I know some people may not be high on musicals. But I, I think musicals are great, and Singing in the Rain has a lot of really fun, catchy numbers, and it's kind of a, it's kind of the seminal. Yes, I'm using that again, mm-hmm. Jason. The seminal musical, and so I have to say that it's a tie. A tie. I think it's a tie.
0: I know that song.
3: Because Great Expectations is such a great adaptation yeah. of Charles Dickens. And it's a legendary film. I'm sure even more so in, in Britain land. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I originally was going to say that I think Singing in the Rain you know,
0: takes it. But I think it's a tie. Singing in the Rain is, is iconic enough that, uh, you know, I mean, that's the thing. is. Anytime you watch an award show or some of the history of Hollywood, chances are at some point you're going to see that scene of Gene Kelly running up on the fucking lamppost. Yeah. Because it's so iconic. You're almost so convincing me to give it the win, but yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, think it's, I think it's too close to call. Tight. Well, i got to give it a great Expectations by default, but good luck singing in the rain. We'll see once I watch it. Mm-hmm.
3: Well, with that being said, Jason, we need to talk about... We need to move on. We need to talk about... This week's film, which is, of course, Shakespeare in Love. Mm. That's right, those sounds can only mean one thing, Jason. We are talking about number 49 on the list. Hmm. Uh, The John Madden film, yes, the the, The football guy. Of course, definitely a different John Madden. (laughs) Uh, The John Madden film, Shakespeare in Love from 1998. This is the newest film on the list.
0: Yes, this movie was still fresh in people's minds when this list was put together. Released in
3: December of 1998, right in that prime awards season Mm -hmm. that... Period. Which we will talk about a lot. Yes. <laughs> um, but yeah, let's uh, just to list who's in this movie, okay? Here we go. We've got Joseph Fiennes playing William Shakespeare.
0: Whom you may remember from uh, the great film Enemy at the Gates.
3: Well, and on this podcast, Elizabeth. Okay, playing well, yeah. Elizabeth's lover. Sure, sure. Uh, Gwyneth Paltrow playing
0: Viola de Lesseps. Whom you may remember from Scams or 2004 sky captain in the world of tomorrow i was gonna say if we get into goop we'll be here all night (laughs) uh jeffrey
3: rush as philip henslow who was also in elizabeth playing a much different character was also in
0: we haven't shine we
3: haven't talked about shine shine's on the list though right no no uh colin firth as lord wessex who we remember from the english patient yes uh, Ben Affleck as Ned Allen uh, in this movie whom we remember of course from uh, 1998's Dogma Jason I have a lot of more actors to go through oh I know Dame Judi Dench is playing Elizabeth which is interesting because in Elizabeth yes. the younger version was Kate Blanchett absolutely and I remember Judi Dench from 1999's The World Is Not Enough Simon Callow is Edmund Tilney who we
0: remember from Four Weddings and, and a funeral. funeral yes as Gareth
3: yeah one of the best characters in that movie mm-hmm. Jim Carter is Ralph Bashford Jim Carter was in the madness of king george and was also in downton abbey in oh, the wait, Downton Abbey
0: movie yeah. like carson
3: and and you could check out that episode where jason talks about that movie he is also married
0: to imelda staunton who plays the nurse in this movie and you may remember imelda staunton because she was dolores umbridge in the harry potter movies yeah and i think she was in something else we talked about but i don't remember yeah, now. i don't know uh, Martin Clunas is Richard Burbage, who you may remember very much from the uh, early 90s British sitcom Men Behaving Badly, which was later, later remade starring Rob Schneider. You're going to be here all night. <laughs> Tom Wilkinson we've talked about many times Oh yeah, from The Full Monty and from, uh, what's the other one, uh, where he dies right in the beginning?
3: Uh, oh, uh, Sense and Sensibility. Sense and Sensibility, yeah. yeah. He's playing Hugh Fennyman. Mm-hmm. And last but certainly not least, Rupert Everett as Christopher Marlowe, who is not credited In the movie, oh, interesting!
0: You also forgot two people. You forgot uh, Mark Williams, who uh, you may remember as uh, Arthur Weasley in the Harry Potter films. Okay, Uh, he's the stuttering uh, chorus. Oh, okay, yeah. And then, and this blew my mind because I didn't notice it at first, but then looking through the cast, this guy was in there. So during the play, uh, where you see uh, uh, Jim Carter uh, dressed up as the nurse. and then there's also Lady Capulet. Lady Capulet is played by John Inman, who famously played Mr. Humphreys on Are You Being Served, one of my favorite shows of all time. Jason, this is
3: like the Avengers endgame of
0: all yeah. the movies we've done well, so th- far. But that's the thing. That was one of the things about watching this movie is that it is packed with British people and
3: Ben Affleck. And you know what? I'm going to say right now... I think Ben Affleck is one of the best parts of the movie. He's pretty good, he's and pretty I don't. Good. And I and that's not and that's not me saying oh he's the, he's the only part I liked. Ben Affleck actually pulls so, off so a let, half de, halfway decent. Just wait, one second. Yeah. Ben Affleck actually pulls off a halfway decent British accent, and I think at the time he
0: would have been much maligned against for being in this movie, but I think he pulls it all. See, here's what's in his favor in this movie. Uh, he's charismatic. This this movie is very much a comedy. Yes. Okay, so then there's a certain level of silliness to it. So the idea of Ben Affleck doing a, a, a British accent, which is also silly, fits in good. And especially because he doesn't appear till like an, maybe 45 minutes, an hour into the movie, right? Yeah, about that. So we've had this time to build up kind of this silly world that this movie is and the kind of, you know, the, the I, I don't say this in a bad way, but like the tropes, the, the tropey comedy of it all. And then by the time we see Ben Affleck, I, in my head, I was like, Jesus Christ, Ben Affleck. But then I thought, no, right, of course, why not? Let's do this. Well, he's one of the Miramax boys. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and this is a Miramax film. party. He's partying with Harvey and Bob every night. Oh, we'll, we'll talk about that in a <laughs> little
3: bit. But yeah, um, so just generally break this down. What is this movie about, Jason?
0: This movie is about William Shakespeare. Uh, he is doing his thing being all Shakespeare in London in the 1500s, and he is under, well, not contract, but he's working for a patron, played by Jeffrey Rush, Who's paying him to write a play that is uh, initially called Romeo and Ethel, the Pirate King's daughter,
3: and that's the title that stu- stayed through the land, Stood and through the, the test years. Of time.
0: Yeah, but uh, of course he he takes every opportunity to fuck off and not write the play and cheat on his wife with every woman he can find. Well, I think he's separated from his wife. Well, he's separated by distance. Certainly, she's yeah. up in Stratford and he's down in uh, London. I, I don't. I, th- I think they allude to them not really being in a romantic relationship. Maybe, maybe, but still. You're taking your. You're not taking your marriage vows seriously, you piece of shit. And I bet you she didn't give him permission. How dare you? I'm. A, I. I believe Anne Hathaway. Thank you very much.
3: That is hilarious. That her character His her his wife's character's name. just in a very quick throwaway line. Is Anne Hathaway? His wife's name, Brendan. She was a real person. His wife's character's. Na- oh yeah. <laughs> Whatever. You know what I'm saying. Jesus Christ. yes
0: yeah okay so yeah yeah this is a movie so yeah it's about his trials and tribulations and he falls in love with gwyneth paltrow who's playing viola who is a a woman who loves the theater and wants to be an actor but of course in these days you that doesn't happen women don't do it they're not allowed to the boys play the women right uh so she goes the other way and dresses up as a boy to uh, audition to play and she ends up getting the role of romeo Mm -hmm. which she gets i think because william shakespeare wants to fuck her and does. Well, no, I
3: think he doesn't know that it's her know, right. Away. As,
0: when does he exactly know? Because there's times where it's like when she kisses him. Like when she kisses him in the boat, that's when he knows in the boat. Yeah. Oh, okay.
3: Because that's when... Because when he's telling her... Because when,
0: when, when they're in the boat, yeah, he's telling her. And I'm thinking, is he that stupid that he can't see that she's... I wrote that him down, too. I, I, I
3: wrote that too, down, too, honestly. <laughs> I'm like, okay, but the suspension of disbelief is a little high right now for yeah. us to believe that he is looking straight at her. As close as you and I are sitting, yeah. Jason.
0: And we've often kissed on the podcast. All the time. Um, and that he can't see... I have a feeling if I just walked up and sat down beside you and you were in a dress and a wig and then I looked at you and stared <laughs> at you for about five minutes, I think it might eventually be like, wait a minute is that brendan <laughs> exactly it's brenda thank you very much
3: and i would say it with that exact tone of voice exactly.
0: too you would because you'd be right too. thank you so go on what happens uh a bunch of stuff happens and they fuck and there's a intrigue everybody's trying to kill everybody else see the thing about this thing is that it's complicated and yeah. it's complicated because this whole movie is basically a shakespeare play it's yeah. very much formatted like a Shakespeare play. And one thing I will say, too,
3: right off the bat... I mean, yeah, let's just... Let's, I mean, and then, yeah. And then it gets complicated and, you know, she eventually gets found out and yada, yep. yada, yada. Stuff happens. We'll get into it. Well, those moments will come up. Will come up. Um, but one thing I want to say is, like, while... When we watched Elizabeth hmm. and... Maybe I'll save this for the end, but when we watched Elizabeth um, and I said, like, I kind of said, you know, I feel like the historical inaccuracies in this movie hurt it a little bit Hmm. because the movie
0: is presented in a way to be shown as a historical piece. Or that it could be taken that way. It's not, it's not playing fast and loose with like, like it's, it's not doing anything particularly stylistic. It is, it is presenting itself as a rather straightforward story. It could be mistaken as his. Yeah,
3: I mean, camera wise, it's it's flashy and everything. Yes. But yes, it is very much like it is very much like sh- the thing that you would sh- probably show in class. Yes, and and I mean, you'd hide up the hide the boobies, um, <laughs> and ideally,
0: the teacher would be smart enough to be like, okay, some of the stuff happened, but this is all this is all done for dramatic effect. Well, this is the thing though,
3: yeah. because there was so many inaccuracies in that movie. I felt like that hurt it a little bit. As kind of like a historical drama. This movie makes no bones about no. being accurate. No, And no. I think... But, I, but see, I don't see that here as a negative. Well,
0: because that's not what it would be trying to do. It's not trying to tell a realistic biography of William Shakespeare's life. I
3: mean, right off the bat, the whole thing with him trying to adapt uh, Romeo... Or trying to write Romeo and Ethel, the pirate's daughter... Mm. Romeo and Juliet was just something he'd already
0: had. Yeah, that's, that's, that's the biggest inaccuracy of this movie. Is that, I mean, yeah, that's the whole premise. That was, a, that was a play that, not a play, but that was like a poem or a story that already existed. Already in, existed. And he was just adapting it for the stage. And Which he did with many of his plays. Yeah. Hamlet was another one, famously, that was adapted from a previous story. Yeah, he story took it from The play. Lion King. Yeah, exactly. He yeah. stole it from the Lion King. He got a VHS tape sent to him in a portal <laughs> and a VCR that was secondhand. But that's the thing. Like, this movie obviously has a much lighter tone, which I had no idea about.
3: The legacy of this movie... I knew this movie was a comedy. Now I, I did not. I, I understood this movie, the legacy of this movie, and we're, we'll get into all this stuff a little later in more detail, but yeah. I knew this movie that this was the one in 1998 that really made everyone mad when it beat Saving Private Ryan at the Oscars. Yeah. And the other thing I thought of was that it was a big, long, stuffy costume drama. Yeah, those are the things I got for it because anybody at that, especially at that time, mm. or you know, looking back in those retrospectives or whatever, is always like, "Oh yeah, Shakespeare loved like that boring
0: ass yeah. drama." Well, whatever. And you think back to that era. I mean, you and I, what was nineteen ninety eight? So I was fourteen. And I was. Twelve. Yeah. So it wasn't exactly a movie that was aimed in our direction. No, no. <laughs> not be, not something that we would be rushing out to the theater to I see. I mean, I mean, to be fair, in
3: 1998, I also wasn't watching Saving Private Ryan. Like, mm. I didn't see that until years later. But I th- saw
0: Saving Private Ryan as soon as it was on VHS tape.
3: Yeah. No, I don't know when I saw it, but I. But either, either way, it's the legacy of this movie. Is that, and um, I mean, I'll get this out of the way right off the bat. I mean, I think we both enjoyed this movie a lot more than we expected.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, and especially having these preconceived notions we've had of what this movie is and what it meant, and I mean, because the thing is, at the end of the day, even if a movie wins an Oscar that you don't, it's really not your thing, there's got to be some merit to it. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't want to ever watch Crash again, but I think it was a relatively interesting movie for the time that maybe was a a message that was misstated by overeager White people
3: and I will state for the record again, <laughs> once again, that I love Crash and until I rewatch it, my opinion stands. <laughs> uh, but uh, but yeah, though no, it's it's really interesting, kind of how we change what a movie is over time, hmm. especially when we when we just look at like the immediate reactions to it.
0: And, and that's and that's one of the reasons why it's tough every year to have these awards for the movies of the year, but it never really you know, it it, it doesn't often reflect how movies stand up in popular
3: culture. Like as much as I love this as much as I really like this movie. Hmm. Is anyone does anyone remember Birdman? At this point, yeah, exactly. Like, does anyone remember the artist? Yeah, no,
0: nobody remembers like, that. Nobody shit. remembers that. Those movie. are not movies that are held up as as like classics in the same you, way. Or they, they may someday be rediscovered and maybe become that but... you could you could argue in recent years some
3: successful ones were like Moonlight. I mm-hmm. think that's going to hold the stand of the test of time, and um, uh, the Shape of Water. Like, I think movies like that. Are ones that are going to stand you think out. Fish sex is going to hold up. I think fish sex is going to hold. up. I think it's never always going, going to be style. that fish sex movie that won Best Picture somehow. Like <laughs> it's going to be, it's a great movie. But I'm just saying, I was shocked. Yes. Um. But yeah. So, I mean, let's 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 get into Shakespeare and in love, man. Let's get into this shit because, like you like you said, this movie is essentially a Shakespeare play. Mm-hmm. And I mean, just some examples of it. We have uh, Will and uh, Viola. Um, the, the famous balcony scene from Romeo and Juliet, yeah. like, calling up to the balcony, oh, Romeo, Romeo, essentially doing the same thing, along with a funny little bit where he climbs up and yeah. uh, is face-to-face with the nurse, and they scream, and he falls. Uh, in, in addition, like, they're, they're also equally, like, star-crossed lovers. Like, they're from two different worlds. Yeah. Uh, they're... Um, uh, there, uh, there's, there's also uh, a Rosaline, Rosaline, who Will has been in love with at the beginning of the movie. And I believe she's a character from Romeo and Juliet or, mm-hmm. or something of that nature. Something of that nature. Another Shakespeare play. I know
0: there's Shakespeare. I'm sure, I'm pretty sure at some point there was a character named Rosaline in Shakespeare.
3: There's uh, the, the cross-dressing thing that ha- that's that's a common theme in a lot of Shakespeare. Yeah, characters and, dressing well, again, up again as... the
0: boys that play women in the in the shows. Oh, I
3: mean, like in the plots. of the Yes, Shakespeare, that as, Shakespeare, as
0: well. Yes. Uh, mistaken
3: identities, mm-hmm. you know, misconceptions, the appearance of a ghost, yes. which is one of the funniest <laughs> scenes in the movie. Uh, later in the film, of course, we have we should explain that Colin Firth is playing a character Lord Wessex, who I think he's fantastic. He's great. Yeah. Everybody in this movie is at the top of their fucking game, mm-hmm. and Colin Firth is like the best at playing this like uppity, like just piece of shit. And at one point, he he thinks that Will Shakespeare has been murdered because yeah. Shakespeare, when he first met him, and Colin Firth threatened him, like "Go oh, stay away from Viola." Yeah. He says that his name is Christopher Marlowe. Yeah. So when we later learn that Christopher Marlowe has been killed at a bar. Um, Colin Firth hears that and he thinks that it's Shakespeare. So when he sees Shakespeare, yeah. he he shrieks and he's like, "Ghost, no spirit, get away from me!" And it's a great scene, um, and that's like, yeah, it's an introduction of a ghost. Um, and, and and yeah, it's just it's really funny because like they're 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 kind of presenting it in this movie. These when these things happen as like inspiring Shakespeare to put them into his play, hmm. which is a
0: really funny. Concept. Yeah, it's the the classic kind of. Time, the way you play with time in a movie, if you are playing in a, an old story like this.
3: And actually, I just want to play a clip of Colin Firth because he's got to, it's appreciated. Got to yes. appreciate the Firth. Um, by the way, this is the second movie we've done where he's playing like the other guy, <laughs> like the English patient. Yes. He was the other guy. Um, but this is when he. Um, He's looking for uh, for Viola for gwyneth Paltrow, and uh, he he procl- proclaims that he's going to marry her in the most British way possible. Yes, um, and I just love the way he reaches for compliments or reasons why he likes her. It's yes. just so so Colin Firth.
2: If you tell her to
1: get off her knees and show some civility to her sixth day lord and master. lady violet
2: lord wessex you've been waiting
1: i am aware of it but it is beauty's privilege (laughs) you flatter my lord no i have spoken to the queen her majesty's consent is requisite when a wessex takes a wife and once given her consent is her command
2: do you intend to marry my lord
1: your father should keep you better informed he has bought me for you he returns from his estates to see us married two weeks from Saturday. You are allowed to show your pleasure.
2: But I do not love you, my lord.
1: How your mind tops about. Your father was a shopkeeper. Your children will bear arms and I will recover my fortune. That is the only matter under discussion today. You will like Virginia. Virginia? Yes, my fortune lies in my plantations, the tobacco weed. I need 4,000 pounds to fit out a ship and put my investments to work. I fancy tobacco has a future. We will not stay there long, three or four years. Why me? It was your eyes. No, your lips.
3: <laughs> but, and then he kisses her and she slaps him. But like, I just love how he's like, uh,
0: I love you because your eyes. Yeah. Uh, no, your lips, I guess. Two fun <laughs> historical facts relating to that scene one in inaccuracy. He says uh, he's going to his colony in Virginia. Yeah. Uh this is before. This is before, 14 years before a colony was established in Virginia. Mm-hmm. So there's one historical accuracy. But here's an actual historical fact. So he's the Earl of Wessex and and at that uh, at, at that point when the movie was made in 1997, the title of Earl of Wessex hadn't been used since about 1125. You know, so it was an easy one to do. But so in 1999, Prince Edward, who I believe is the Queen's grandson possibly, uh he was getting married and the queen was going to bestow upon him a title as often done and she was going to make him the duke of Cambridge which as you'll know today is actually the title that uh, William and Kate uh, have the the duke, duke and duchess of Cambridge but Prince Edward had seen this movie and he liked this character so much for some reason he asked that he be styled the earl of Wessex so he is now the current earl of Wessex because of this movie
3: I I did <laughs> I did glance at that and I think that's so interesting yeah. um that's the kind of that's a, that's crazy like the amount of of influence a movie can have on something yeah. like that, like that, on, on the real royal family. Yeah, yeah, I just saw this movie and was like, I quite enjoy this character. Yeah. <laughs> I want to be named after him. Um, it's it's really funny. I mean, uh, the other thing in this movie, they they present Christopher Marlowe as like this master playwright, which yes. I think is really funny. He because was
0: he was a great playwright.
3: He was, but it's it's funny because like he kind of was cut off early. Like the, the he died at a pretty
0: young age. He died at a pretty young age. He was a drunk. He was uh, you know he's one of those like I think he had a reputation as being a bit unpleasant. Um, and the story for many years was that he was stabbed in a tavern, which is what they go with this yeah. in this movie. But there was documentation uncovered that suggests that he may have actually been killed in a fight in a house, uh, where he'd been staying with three other guy or two other guys or something. And there's lots of intrigue and, but there's also questions about whether that's accurate. So it's not really known exactly how he died, but for the purposes of this movie, he stabbed in a tavern and he, and he does, he gives them basically the plot
3: for yeah. Romeo and Ethel the pirate's daughter, where he says, Romeo is Italian, was in and out of love until he meets... Ethel the yeah. <laughs> daughter of his enemy his best friend is killed in a duel
0: by Ethel's brother or something his name is Mercutio he <laughs> yeah, gives him the name Mercutio yeah. and, and that's kind of interesting and and on one hand it's kind of cheesy of like the idea of like Ed, he hears all these things that like yeah. then, but that's exactly how it works in real life like no man's an island no man just pulls shit out of the ether like in your life people will tell you things now I don't it's not always as direct as this to say like oh Christopher Marlowe just came up with the basic entire plot for Romeo and Juliet and
3: this is something that. Sometimes, a lot of times, it bothers me in movies where they they get, you know, they have that historical joke, you know, like the thing Mm. in Jersey Girl where it's like, oh, like the fresh prince is ever going to be a movie star. But in this movie, (laughs) speaking of Ben Affleck, (laughs) yeah, exactly. In this movie, it kind of works just because the tone is so silly. Exactly. Um, It gets a little.
0: Dramat- it gets a little dramatic at times, like especially towards the end. There, and there's some there's some deep history jokes in this movie by some clear fans of history that I had to look up. Um, so there's a character that we run into, you, uh, the young boy, who's John Webster. John Webster, yeah, yeah, I looked up John Webster. John Webster was also a contemporary, well, a little bit later playwright who would have been around, you know, a child at this time. Yeah, he was a Jacobin playwright and. His most famous. He has two famous plays, and, and both of them are, are reputed for being quite violent and gory. And so we see that in the movie of his character, like playing with the rats and, and being super into the violence. When the, when they, the queen asks him if he liked the play, he said, "I like the part where Juliet stabbed herself in the stomach."
2: Yeah, he likes Titus <laughs> Andronicus. He likes Titus that's Andronicus. That's Shakespeare's
0: most violent play. We, well, that's yeah, and that's the play where he feeds a lady's kids to her in a pie. Titus does. Yes. That's a great movie. Yeah. Christopher Titus Andronicus. Yes. (laughs) But I I have a theory about this movie, Brendan. Okay. So let me me start. Let me go back a bit. So remember we talked about the Downton Abbey movie? Yes. Remember how I said the Downton Abbey movie was like a piece of pure fan service in that it was really just an excuse to get the band back together and relive the kind of fun of that show and kind of a thing that had no real stakes or whatever. For sure. That's what kind of what this movie is. This is a 100% fan service movie for Shakespeare Shakespeare fans. Yeah. I I wrote that down I I don't mean that in the Japanese sense of like a bunch of teenage superheroes uh, playing beach volleyball in skimpy bathing suits (laughs) for an episode. I mean that in the, the Downton Abbey sense. Like this is really... For Shakespeare fans, it has so many little references, so many things. It's, it's just about having fun and, and making jokes at those. And But it's also weird because, you know, it's not... Shakespeare for us, for us here in 2020, Shakespeare's not some crude, you know pop culture diversion, like something like, like Star Trek, say, mm-hmm. is, or or Downton Abbey, or and it's funny to call them crude, but like where it's like this pop culture thing that's, you know, relatively recent, but, you know, you know all this knowledge about it. But with Shakespeare, Shakespeare's like a whole academic thing. Mm-hmm. So that's a little weirder, having a fan service movie for something that's considered like, like very high culture and academic, even though in Shakespeare's day, Shakespeare's stuff was kind of like for the commoners. Like, you know, it was these plays were being put on in places where people of low income could afford to go.
3: It's almost like, They're making Shakespeare accessible.
0: Yeah, they are. They're kind of giving you a best of.
3: Which is kind of what Shakespeare did for the groundlings. Yes. We're kind of like groundlings watching Shakespeare. Yeah, we really are. We're in that perspective.
0: Yeah, it it, it brought these stories to the people, and in this way, you could say that Shakespeare in Love also does, and, and I imagine must have brought a lot of these elements to people that. Either had never seen them before, or had forgotten about them from school.
3: Yeah, um, and, and another little thing that I noted, um, the little cute little reference. There's a scene where he keeps writing his uh, signature and crossing mm. it out, mm. and that is apparently because uh, he it, there, there are several versions of his signature that exist. Yes, and in each one he spells his name differently, <laughs> so he doesn't have a, a you know a trademark signature. He never did, which I think is just a cute little thing that they threw in the movie. That
0: is neat. Oh, I, I wanted to. I, I think I mentioned this earlier, but I just want to break, put this out there for all you folks. This movie rides a very fine line mm-hmm. between with the comedy and everything. Like it, it, this is a sort of movie that could break very bad and be very bad uh, easily. I, this movie I have not seen Cats, but it makes me think of Cats, and not because Judi Dench is in both of them, but in the sense that Cats is this movie that is is all these stars and they're coming together for this this story that is. Clearly very important to a lot of uh, Broadway kids and, and theater kids uh, in the world. And from, from all accounts, it's a, a, a mess. It's a glorious mess, but it's a mess. And I feel like Shakespeare in Love could have been that too if the elements had been different if they'd just been slightly out of sync if there'd been maybe other elements that didn't need to be there like like there's a good chance this movie could have been a musical i think like i think yeah. i think this has like the the beginnings of something that could be a musical if just songs were added into it i want if Ben Affleck's going to sing i'm in all right <laughs> finally it's what i've been waiting for my whole life <laughs> but but they managed to pull it off and, and and there's a reason why this movie won the Oscar because it actually is really fucking good it's, it's an enjoyable it film it is really fucking good yeah. and I'm glad that we're saying that because yeah. this is one of those things where it's like
3: you know I want to give this a chance I don't want to just jump on the bandwagon I don't want to just say oh you know this movie should have fucking won because all these other movies deserved it more and we'll talk about that and hey, here
0: mean, we sit Brendan 22 years yeah. later finally giving it its due it, it's a good fucking movie Yeah, it really is,
3: a, is It is a great movie Um, I want to talk about some of the non-British actors so we talked about Ben Affleck a little bit Talk about Ben Affleck, uh, pulling it off, doing a yeah. good job. He's very funny. He comes in as this very like cocky character. Actually, we should listen to a little bit of Ben yes, Affleck. Of, uh, and,
0: and this was a real guy too, Ned uh, Ned I L Allen, Ned Allen. Yes, yeah. he was a real actor in those days.
3: Yeah. Okay. So, um, what this scene is, so it, so it starts out with uh, them giving speeches to the actors, and Tom Wilkinson give, gives a great dressing down. Yes. And then Ben Affleck makes his entrance, and you'll just you'll just hear him He's so boisterous, and it's great. I just listen to this here, folks.
2: Gentlemen, thank you. You are welcome.
1: Who's that? Nobody's the author.
2: We are about to embark on a great voyage.
1: It is customary to make a little speech on the first day. It does no harm. Authors like it. You want to know what parts you are to receive? All will be settled as we go. I'll do it. Now, listen to me, you dregs. Actors are ten a penny. And I, Hugh Feniman, hold your nuts in my hand. Huzzah! The Edom's men are returned to the house! <laughs> Ned! Henslow! You have those faces. Oh, good to
2: see
1: Who is this? Silence, you jerk! I
2: am Hieronymo.
1: I am Tamberley. I am Faustus, I am Barabbas, the Jew of Malta. Oh yes, Master Will, I am Henry VI. What is the play and what is my part? Uh, one moment, sir. Who are you? I'm, um, I'm the money. Then you may remain,
2: so long as you remain silent.
3: <laughs> he's great. Yeah, um, he's very Ben Affleck in that scene, and I love it. What's great is you mentioned how like one little thing, one little off thing, could make that whole film crumble. I think it very close. There was a, a moment where it very closely did did mm-hmm. just that because, according to Gwyneth Paltrow, um, and I mean. We can believe her because she's talking about one of the monsters of Hollywood, she's Harvey Weinstein. She's not telling Weinstein. me
0: about... making any health claims to us.
3: Well, and she's talking about one of the monsters in, involved in this movie, oh, Harvey yeah. Weinstein, which yeah. again, we'll do a lot more to talk about him later. But she said that Harvey Weinstein originally, according to her, wanted Ben Affleck to play the role of William Shakespeare. <laughs> and she actually made the suggestion of Joseph Fiennes. And she said, "I think you may want to have an actual British actor playing Shakespeare. You may mm. have a riot on your hands." Yeah, she's like, "Why not? Uh, why not give Ben like another like another role somewhere in the film? Like Ned Allen?" She said, "That'd be perfect for him. He'd have so much fun with it." Yeah, I think they were together at the time. Yeah, they may have been. They were around. They were together in like the late nineties, I believe. But yeah, that's. I think there you go. That's an example how maybe it could have fallen off the the rails a little bit. Yeah, exactly.
0: This would have been a very different movie if Ben Affleck had to play William Shakespeare. So, Her, aside from Ben Affleck, Ben Affleck. Gwyneth Paltrow. Yes. Wonderful. She's great in this
3: movie. The British accent was great. Yeah. I thought she pulled it off beautifully. And I think, uh, and I mean, she wins the Oscar. Mm. Uh, she's she's very good in this movie. And she does a great job at balancing the comedy. And then later when it gets a little more serious, uh, she handles that really well too.
0: And we make fun of her. But at the same time, she looks almost exactly the same 22 years on.
3: She really does. And she <laughs> has terrific chemistry with Joseph Fiennes, mm-hmm. who I think is much I had a, I didn't, I mean, I didn't think he was terrible in Elizabeth, but I thought he was kind of bland. Hmm. And I think in this movie he has a lot more charisma. Yes, I think he's a lot more engaging. He's more myself. fun. He is a lot more fun
0: and uh, certainly has a lot more fun than Rafe finds did in The English Patient <laughs> yeah no fish hooks though unfortunately none he, no, he's not gonna steal his brother's move no that's his brother's tr- that's his brother's gimmick <laughs> he just, he, well they've, they've had fights where he's had him on the ground and i like you don't use that move that's my move I was gonna use
3: the example that you don't see you didn't see Owen Hart using the sharpshooter but you did you did occasionally yeah. yeah. Was, but usually usually
0: to insult Brett yeah um, <laughs> you imagine Joseph Finds in this way using the fish hook and then he just looks at the camera take that Rafe As for you Rafey boy um, so this this movie was was co-written by Tom Stoppard, who uh, for Shakespeare fans uh, was the guy that wrote the play Rosencrantz and Guildenstern Are Dead," which uh, we've mentioned it before. But it's the it's a play that is a parallel play to Hamlet and follows the adventures of the characters of Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. Now you may not remember them because uh, we, as we pointed out in our Hamlet episode, they, were they weren't in- ha- where well, they were not in that version of Hamlet. Yeah. But- uh, yeah, so that was a, that was a cool guy to bring on, and Tom was the guy that in interviews has literally said, "Yeah, we didn't want to be constrained by history; we just wanted to have fun with it. Like we just want to do something cool." And I respect that. Um, wasn't it ironic that the that the curtain theater? Isn't it ironic? Don't you think? Wasn't it ironic that the curtain theater didn't have a curtain? I didn't notice that well because at the end of the movie right uh, so we, we, we see the end of Romeo and Juliet they, they die and then we have the, the, the chorus and you know for never was there such a tale of woe than Juliet and her sweet Romeo and mm. then he, he bows and then there's silence right and I'm expecting a curtain or something to come down of course that's not going to happen because just the design of the theater that's impossible so they're just standing there and it, it goes on for like it feels like forever until finally one guy starts to clap and then everybody you know gets up and, well that's
3: the that's the staple of the, the 90s yes, the exactly. slow clap
0: the, the, the long pause one guy clap yep. And then everyone joins in. Th- this movie did have a real '90s feel to it. Uh, it did. It did. And I, I, I more than Elizabeth, I'd it's, say it's hard to put my finger on exactly why. But I think a lot of it has to do with the, the casting, casting. But the the soundtrack, the the combination of both fanfares of like just the the, the type of brass fanfares used, along with the way that the many of the scenes had that the betting music that was a very '90s kind of like just having music running under a scene. It reminded me of Star Trek in some ways that way, but. Um, At the same time, I don't know that a person watching it would necessarily think, oh, this is a 90s movie. But it just had that feel to me. It did feel
3: like a 90s movie to me, too. And I think much of it is the casting, especially Mm. when you see Ben Affleck. Yeah. Very, very
0: young Screams
3: 90s to me. uh, And and Gwyneth Paltrow, too, honestly. Uh, But also, just like it felt, yeah, it felt more 90s to me than Elizabeth did, even. Mm. And I think that's I th- for me I think that's just the casting for me and I, I think because um, I mean Kate Blanchett a wonderful actor yeah. but I don't see her as like a, a star. Mm. If that makes sense, like I—I I mean, she's great, yeah. But she doesn't have that like Hollywood vibe that Gwyneth or Ben has.
0: Yeah, no, she's she's seems more comfortable doing like real like character roles. Like even if she's starring in something, she's doing a character versus being like a movie star. Like how long has she been working? There are many people who don't know who she is. Yeah,
3: and which that, is—that's a testament to how good an actor she is. Yeah, I mean, you tell someone Ben Affleck, they know
0: exactly who you're talking yeah. about. How could they forget? <laughs> how can they forget Armageddon? So I have a few moments from the movie I'd like to talk about, just things that stood out to me that made me laugh. Okay. Uh, so there's a scene where Will is giving kind of a somber speech about the upcoming play and what they're going to do and who's going to be playing what. And he's like, and then Mr. Fenniman will be playing the apothecary. And it cuts to Tom Wilkinson. And Tom Wilkinson just kind of looks at the person next to him and goes, that's me. <laughs> and that made me laugh pretty hard. Uh, the ridiculous uh, poster that was posted for the play, I don't know if you noticed this, where it's like a William Shakespeare production... Did it production. say Alistair Sim? It, yeah, I wish. It should have. It, said, <laughs> it was like a William Shakespeare production of a Christopher Marlowe, of a this person's, of a this person's, <laughs> and then Romeo and Juliet. And then on the very bottom of the poster, it said, featuring Mr. Fenniman as the apothecary. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> I love it. Uh, in the... Which we should
3: say Mr. Fenniman, Tom Wilkinson, Tom is, Wilkinson. is like the, the money.
0: He's the money man, but he gets a few good little co- comedic moments in yeah. there. Yeah. Um, during the duel with Lord Wessex, so they, they have like a sword fight duel. So this is so this is we should just explain
3: how this kind of yes. comes about. So this is uh, when Wessex finds out that Shakespeare has been over at the house, yes. trying to romance Gwyneth Paltrow, mm-hmm. and that's a, that's
0: his lady that he's going to marry. Yeah, that he likes her her lips and stuff. Yeah, so he like stomps down to a rehearsal and, and uh, challenges, a, yeah. and they have a little duel. Yeah, and it, at one point in the duel, Shakespeare grabs a sword and then goes to full on stab him but it turns out it's a prop sword with a blunt end and so then he gets he gets kind of fought back to the edge of the stage and he falls off the stage and fucking face plants into the stage like so brutal like just full-on boom right into the stage and i have to wonder did did some poor stuntman break his face in that scene and they used it because it looks so real it just looks so it was like when kelsey grammar fell off the stage in that viral video where was just like oh god like it just it looks like he just fucking
2: slammed there
0: him. i was walking along <laughs> oh god Um, but yeah, so props to them. It it looked really hilarious. Another scene that made me laugh really hard was, so when they're all sitting in the bar and Lord Burbage comes like storming in with his crew and they all stand up and he looks at the big fat guy and he goes, kill him. And so the fat guy turns around and he's got a fucking little mace in his hand. And it's like, oh my God, is he just going to beat the, beat this guy's head in? Like, is he just going to bash this guy's head into death? Like the idea, not pulling out a knife, not pulling out a sword, pulling out a little fucking mace (laughs) Well, this is going to take some time. That made me laugh. Uh,
3: uh, Gwyneth Paltrow's boobies were also in this movie. Yes, they were. They were quite nice. Yeah. Just They're, want to point that out. Just don't want to go with the whole episode without showing what a couple of gross uh, dudes we are.
0: This is only for Brendan and me, but uh, at one point Shakespeare goes, I killed a man, and all I can think of was, he killed a man. <laughs> yeah. Everybody's happy we, we yeah. went through that. Um, uh, oh, and, hard the, hard and hard the comedy of the of the reveal of uh, Gwyneth Paltrow's gender where she, where they, they put a, well, initially the, the, was it uh, so he or, Yeah, no. So so basically Simon Callow's character.
3: Yeah, Simon Callow's character again. Another great performance. Oh, um, he comes in because he's. I think he's the guy. He like owns the playhouses or something. I feel like he works for the government. Yeah, he's like a, like he, a
0: sheriff or something.
3: He hears basically the little kid, um, John. what he? We John oh, Webster. John Webster basically snitches because he sees Shakespeare making out with uh, you know Viola. Yep. and he's like, wow, that's all. And he sees her hair. And he's like, oh, that's a girl. Yeah. So he tells. Uh, he tells you know he snitches uh, with on uh, with Simon Callow. Yeah, he comes in, and he's doing this big speech about, like, I will not have a women perform in the plays. And then he comes over to the one in drag that yeah. is clearly a man. It's, 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 yeah,
0: it's, it's like a young guy who's playing Juliet. <laughs> Lifts up Lifts the dress. Skirt. Everybody, Everybody's just like, huh? Everyone sees that cock. Yeah, and they're just like, huh. And then, and, yeah. And then Webster goes and puts a rat down the back of Viola's shirt, and then of course she starts to struggle around and ends up pulling her wig off. Yeah. And that's when they realize. That's when they. Re- that's when they re-
3: reveal. Yeah. It's like, oh, that
0: beautiful boy is actually a beautiful lady. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great. It's a great scene. Um, yeah, a lot, uh, lot of fun comedy in this movie. A lot well, of good
3: laughs. Can, can I? Can I play one of my uh, one of my favorite uh, moments? Actually. Yeah, I'm playing one of the um, the the stream of auditions uh, at the beginning that uh, Shakespeare is um, auditioning people for Romeo and Juliet, yes. and uh, this is just a little montage of like
0: different people auditioning with the same monologue each time. It's not even a monologue; it's one line. It's one line from uh, Christopher Marlowe's "The yeah. Tragical Life and Death of Doctor Faustus," and they all
3: want to use that. we all want to say that same line. Uh, so it's just a little montage. Uh, uh, Jeffrey Rush and, uh, or I guess Henslow and Shakespeare are just watching all these auditions
1: that launched a thousand ships and burnt the topless towers of Ilium. Thank you.
2: Was this the face that launched a thousand ships and burnt the to- topless Thank you. towers
1: of Ilium? Was this the face that launched a thousand ships
2: and burnt the topless towers of I would like to give you
1: something from Faustus by Christopher Marlowe. How refreshing. The
2: topless towers of Ilium.
1: Sweet Helen, make me immortal with a kiss. Wo. Mm. Whoa. Whoa. Was this the? Very good, Mr. Wabash. Excellent. Report to the property master. My tailor wants to be an actor. I have a few debts here and there. Well, that seems to be everybody. <laughs> did you see Romeo?
2: I did not. Well, I to my work. You to yours.
3: <laughs> Two things. Mm. Um, I love the set, the 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 bit that uh, Henslow gives that guy a role because this is Taylor and he yep. owes him debt. Also, isn't it funny that we have a scene there where the guy has a stutter and Jeffrey Rush is trying to help him?
0: Yeah, <laughs> I thought of the King's
3: Speech right away. That's funny. I was like, "Holy shit!"
0: <laughs> Colin Firth is in the movie.
3: Yeah, there you go. That's where they got the idea. That's right. It I wonder, if, they, I wonder if on the set they looked at each other and were like, "Do you remember Shakespeare in Love when we did that movie? Yeah. There was a guy with a stutter." Yeah. I wonder if that's where the director got it from. Hmm. I'd also like also to... the
0: director of the King's Speech,
3: same guy who did
0: Cats. Wow. <laughs> It's all coming together, Jason. I'd also like to, at this point, put this out in the world. Uh, uh, I once played Doctor Faustus in a in an edited version of the Tragical History of Doctor John Faustus by Christopher Marlowe, called Filet of Faust. And it was edited because we only had about forty five minutes to do it, and uh, me as a teenager and everybody else could only memorize so much archaic dialogue. Phileo Faust sounds like McDonald's released a Shakespearean uh, sandwich. Oh, I wish that'd be amazing. <laughs> So good, you'll sell your soul for it. But, uh, yeah, settle thy studies, Faustus, and begin to sound the depths of that though, we'll profess. That's a great play, and I'm putting it out in the world because I want somebody to make a film version of it. Because, come on, guys. I mean, I know there have been, I mean, basically The Devil's Advocate or a movie like that, but give me a real version. Everywhere! Everywhere! Everywhere.
3: Everyone! You know, we haven't talked about enough yet. Jeffrey Rush.
0: He's great. He's so good. And... He we plays t- a scum like 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 kind of a, a scumbag rich guy in the sense that he looks like he's he's a rich guy, but he's so meek. But he's still and he's kind of like he's kind of dirty looking, and yeah, oh, like, yeah, he's definitely on the lower end of rich guys.
3: But what I like is that um, he competes against himself. Yes. Uh, in Elizabeth, mm-hmm. and he beat himself mm-hmm. in at, for a Bafta, which we talked about when we did Elizabeth. Um, and at first, we kind of joked about it and laughed. But these are two wildly different performances. Oh, absolutely, absolutely, like in in Elizabeth, he's this slick like. It's, he's still slimy but he's like he's much more like manipulative he's an elizabethan carl rove yeah yeah i mean it turns out he does uh you know work to elizabeth's benefit yes but in this one i mean i think he's more likable yeah. in this movie oh yeah no absolutely and, and he's, he's a little bit got a little more charm and like he's he's um he's kind of a scumbag but at the same time like you know when we have this even when we have the reveal mm. um that you know um Viola as a woman performing in this play. Later on, of course, when we get to the big climax when they're running Romeo and Juliet and she runs away from her after her wedding to Wessex to be in the play, he's the one that kind of Juliet gets sick or whatever. He's the one that's like. Oh no, we, she's right here. Let's just put her in the play. Yeah. Let's do it. Exactly. He doesn't care. Yeah, no, exactly. Which, which I gotta say, uh, sorry. The, the kid doesn't get sick. The one that's mm. gonna play Juliet, his his voice drops. Yes, because <laughs> <laughs> there's a joke about that earlier where he kind of says, "Oh, did you, uh, did your voice drop?" He's like, "No, no, it's just a chest cold." And Shakespeare grabs him by the nuts. <laughs> <He's> like, <laughs> they haven't dropped it. He's like, "No." no. We're talking about a lot of, like, just, oh, this was funny when, but, like, that's what
0: this movie that's is. what this movie it, is, It is, yeah. it is a straight-up comedy. But the, the plot is irrelevant at the end of the day. Like, it's a, it's a romance, but it's a romance between people that are, like, meant to be with other people, and it's supposed to be this great romance. I don't give a fuck about the romance. I, I the, enjoyed I, the comedy. I thought the romance was really good. I was going to say, I thought the chemistry
3: between Joseph Fiennes and Gwyneth Paltrow was, like, really good. Yeah, it was, it was, good. It was good. I felt but the like, heat
0: between them. Yeah, well, we saw the heat between them.
3: Uh, they get naked many times, mm. and what I thought was uh, interesting is that this movie doesn't necessarily end on the most upbeat note. No, because um, usually you'd see a movie like this, you know, oh they fought against whatever, and she uh, was able to come back to him and happily ever after. That's not what happens here, though. She is basically forced into this marriage with Wessex with yeah. a Colin Firth. The Queen kind of shows up and like you know puts him on, puts him in his place, yeah. but she says I can't annul this lawful marriage. So she has to go back and wait. Wait. Be with wait. 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 Wait.
0: I thought that it went down to where she's like, "So uh, uh, your wife has disappeared uh, during the show, and this is clearly Sir uh, Master Thomas Kent." Uh, but she tells him to go get her. Yeah, to go get her. But but the implication being like, you fuck off and go find your wife, and you let Master Thomas Kent go because she makes him give uh, Gwyneth Paltrow the fifty pounds that he had brought for the bet. Okay. And I think the implication was that she's basically, she can't dissolve the marriage, but she's basically, because she's the queen, who's going to tell her she's wrong? She basically tried to work it so that he fucks off and lets her off. And that's why she's walking on the beach at the end of the movie.
3: See, I really thought that she had had, uh, gone with him at the end.
0: Well, folks, if one of us misunderstood this ending, you tell us because we want to know.
3: Yeah, I thought the implication was that you go get her. You know, you're gonna to have to go live with
0: him. I didn't know that at all. I just, I thought it was more. She's just like, yeah, your wife you disappeared over there. Go get her. Because I think is, this is clearly Master Thomas Kent. I mean, the illusion is is quite strong. But as a, uh, she says, as a woman who understands what it's like to work in a man's place or something like well
3: you know what jason let's listen to her say that. all right yeah, the, the queen as played by
0: dame judy dench again
3: another fantastic 10 performance. minutes of
0: screen time but she got an oscar for it and for good reason
3: yeah and she plays the older she's Kate blanchett yep. same character just an older uh, older
1: version here we go a reboot <laughs> have a care with my name you will wear it out Queen of England does not attend exhibitions of public lewdness so something is out of joint come here Master Kent let me look at you yes the illusion is remarkable and your error Mr Tilney is easily forgiven but I know something of a woman in a man's profession yes by God I do know about that that is enough from you, Master Kent.
3: And of course, like Master Kent, Thomas Kent is the identity that uh, Viola, Gwyneth goes mm. with when she's uh, pretending to be a boy, yes. uh, to be a guy. Yes. Um, oh, boy. Boy. Though yeah. he did have a mustache. Yeah. Yeah. well, that's interesting that we kind of interpreted that two different ways. I, I thought, I mean, I thought of it as kind of a downer. Okay, so
0: okay, because so there's a the scene after that where they're outside, right? And she, they're standing there with the queen and by the thing, and she's like, "Yeah, your wife's left inside. Yeah, and no, I her money." And
3: I, I definitely remember that. Then we that. see her walking
0: on the beach, right?
3: Well, see, I thought that was only him imagining her walking on the beach because oh. as he's as he's talking about how he's going to write uh, Twelfth Night, which is the next, uh, which the queen, uh, funny, uh, funny enough, says. Please make your next play a little funnier, yeah, <laughs>
0: a little lighter. <laughs> Which, of course, is another historical inaccuracy because apparently, in between um, Romeo and Juliet and Twelfth Night, Shakespeare wrote, I think, ten different plays. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
3: another moment that I was I really laughed at is when Ben Affleck, uh, Ben Affleck's Ned Allen, kind of realizes when he says something about like Mercutio is going to die in the play. He's like, "I die." <laughs> he's horrified that like his character dies in the play. <laughs>
0: let's see, Wikipedia, what does it say here? It says, Tinley arrives to arrest everyone for indecency due to Viola's presence, but the Queen reveals herself in attendance and restrains him instead asserting that Kent's resemblance resemblance to a woman is, quote, remarkable. Powerless to end a lawful marriage, she orders Kent to, quote, fetch Viola to sail uh, to Wessex, sail with Wessex to the colony of Virginia. The Queen tells Wessex, who followed Viola to the theater, that Romeo and Juliet has won the bet and has Kent deliver his 50 pounds with instructions to write something a little more cheerful next time for Twelfth Night. Ville and Shakespeare say their goodbyes, and he vows to immortalize her as he imagines the beginning of Twelfth Night and a character as a castaway disguised as a man after a voyage in a strange land.
3: Yeah, so yeah. I thought that castaway thing, that was just him imagining. Maybe. Oh, well, I never thought we would be debating the yeah. ending of Shakespeare in Love. Well, Jason, maybe I totally
0: misunderstood it, but uh, like I say, fill us in, folks, tell us what you think. Yeah.
3: No, I'm, I mean, I'm not saying I'm mm. necessarily right either. I just think it's funny that this is the movie that we're like, hmm, interpreting mm, the yes. ending. Yes, yes. I love how they uh, they don't shy away in this movie for how dirty people were back in the day. There's literally a shot where Henslow is walking through the town at the beginning where he almost gets a bucket of shit dumped on his head. It's very Monty Python and the Holy Grail. I also wrote that Shakespeare, when he meets uh, Philip Marlowe, it reminded me of the scene in Ed Wood when uh, Ed Wood meets Orson Welles. It's like that <laughs> moment of meeting your hero Yeah. Um, where I'm like, did this happen in history? Yeah. <laughs> Which you know, Edward did not mean Orson Welles. That is not a historical moment
0: that we know of.
3: Yeah, uh, I, I I like I really like the uh, montage when they're just like getting their fuck on, combined with like the rehearsals of the play. Mm-hmm. Like he literally she she uh, Viola goes over to a curtain and he literally can't resist her so much. And when when she her arm is just kind of at her side, he's bringing it up and just like kissing all over it like, yeah that? there's
0: a lot of horny in this movie
3: this movie is horny
0: and here's a question i had uh, uh imelda staunton uh when she as is a, horny. As the nurse is sitting outside the room when they're fucking and yes. the other servant comes in and she's like rocking back and forth and i is she nervous is she anxious is she horny like what the fuck she's in a real state
3: i think imelda staunton when she's fanning herself too right? yeah, yeah. I, I, oh I, lord I, I think she's guarding the door yeah but she's I, I think I, she's into it too. I think she's got. I think she's got a little excited. Yeah. Um. I do like the repeated line too. There's a recurring line through this movie where they're <laughs> all saying like,
0: "It's all going to work out. This yeah. play's
3: all going to work out." And
0: they're like, "How? I don't know. It's a mystery." Yeah. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> and that's kind of what the this movie boils down to. It's about a bunch of fucking people, uh, fucking each other in in literal and metaphorical ways, and yet still something great happens. It's humanity in a nutshell. Yeah. Um,
3: I did pull a line from this uh, movie too, which I think is going to become one of my fa- one of my favorite lines uh, of the, the next twenty movies that we cover. Um, when Shakespeare is uh, I, one of his. One of the plays early on in the movie, the one that, uh, you know, oh, what's the Burbage is performing at? Yeah. Uh, Shakespeare hears all this coughing in the in the, in the audience and he says, oh, The consumptives plot against me. Will Shakespeare has a play. Let's cough through it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the consumptives plot against me. It's
3: <laughs> <laughs> so great. Um, let's see. Uh, are there any other clips I want to play here? Because I know there, there's something else. Um, I do want to play... Okay, I want to play one more clip. And it's from the beginning of the movie when they're torturing uh, Henslow. Yes. So basically Tom Wilkinson is the money man. Yes. Hugh the And he's got his two assistants. And they're torturing... Um, uh, Henslow is played by Jeffrey Rush because you know he's in debt mm. and this is where he comes up with the idea of, uh, of financing this play and it's just it's just a really funny way this is the first scene in the movie yeah. some guy getting tortured his feet put on coals and we and we get a weird quick zoom into this the, yeah it was a little out of place with the rest of the movie but yeah it, it was it was it was a quick way to start uh, but here we go
1: Henslow ah! do you know what happens to a man who doesn't pay his debts ah! his boots catch fire ah! Why do you howl when it is I who am bitten? What am I, Mr. Lambert? Bitten, Mr. Feniman. How badly bitten, Mr. Freeze? Twelve pounds, one shilling and fourpence, Mr. Feniman, including interest.
2: Ah, I can pay you. When? Two weeks, three weeks at the most. Oh, for pity's sake!
1: Take them out. Where will you find? Sixteen pounds, five shillings and ninepence. Including interest in three weeks. I have a wonderful new play. Put the back end.
2: <laughs> it's a comedy. Cut off
1: his nose.
2: It's a new comedy by William Shakespeare. And his ears. And his share. We will be partners, Mr. Feniman
0: Partners.
3: <laughs> I just love that
0: scene. Yeah, just threatening to cut off his nose and yeah, his ears. Yeah,
3: just the Jeffrey should right off the bat, know his character is like, a, is like a, just a little loser. <laughs> um. So, Jason, this... Do you have any other things you want to say no. before we get into the critique? I think I at uh, noted my all my points. Okay. Well, this movie cost $25 million to make.
0: 20 of that went to Gwyneth Paltrow. <laughs> <laughs> no, probably not in 1998. No, probably, no. What do you think it made? Uh, well, I think it was a pretty big success. So I'm going to say $175 million. $289 million. Wow. <laughs> Good investment.
3: Yeah, off a $25 million budget. This <laughs> is one of the biggest money makers at the time. Um, I mean, shall we go into the awards, Jason? Yes, let's do it. All right, so it goes to the Oscars. I mean, I guess. Yeah. Um, I'll tell you the ones it doesn't win, first of all. I and mean, then we'll talk about yes. some of this. Uh, it doesn't win Best Director. No, Steven for John Spielberg. Martin. Uh, Roberto Benigni Terrence Malick and Peter Weir are all nominated what was Terrence
0: Malick's movie that year
3: Uh, Thin Red Line oh Thin Red Line yes Peter Weir for Truman Show Roberto Benigni for Life is Beautiful Steven Spielberg is the winner that year for Saving Private Ryan I think that adds to the surprise for Best Picture as well Uh, Best Supporting Actor does not win Jeffrey Rush is nominated but the other nominees include Robert Duvall for *Civil Action*, Ed Harris for *The Truman Show*, Billy Bob Thornton for *A Simple Plan*. Uh, the winner of that year is James Coburn for the movie called *A
0: Movie Called Affliction*. Oh, so that was his uh, lifetime Oscar, basically. He finally got his Oscar. Probably. Yeah. I like James Coburn in *Cross of Iron*. Was he in that? I don't know. The Sam Peckinpah war movie where Sergeant Steiner? Oh, that sounds. Scott Steiner. No, Sergeant Steiner. Sergeant Scott Steiner. <laughs> <laughs> Two plus three is equals to seven, and seven percent of nine is
3: why are you doing it like bill cosby I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh three awards it doesn't win and loses the same in private ryan are best sound best cinematography and best film editing all rightful um and it loses uh best makeup to elizabeth that's surprising but also understandable it wins best costume design understandable best art
0: direction understandable
3: best original musical or comedy score sure best screenplay Okay. Best supporting actress for Judi Dench. Agreed. It's up against Kathy Bates in Primary Colors, okay. Brenda Blethyn in Little Voice, Rachel Griffiths in Hillary and Jackie, and Lynn, Red- Lynn Redgrave in Gods and Monsters.
0: Oh, that's a good movie, Gods and Monsters. I've actually never seen it. It's well, really good. I Ian to and Brendan Fraser, I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's yeah. about the dude who did Frankenstein. Yeah. Uh, but,
3: but wins best actress for Gwyneth Paltrow. Yep. Uh, up against Kate Blanchett for Elizabeth. Fernando Montenegro for Central Station, which I read about at the time, by the way, and mm. apparently she was the heavy favorite. Really? Uh, in terms of, like, critical. Yeah. Like, critical reviews, they all wanted her to win. Mm. Um, but, of course, that did not happen. Uh, Meryl Streep for One True Thing, and Emily Watson for Hillary and Jackie. Now, this is one of the categories I don't think Save and Private Ryan would have had an entry for this no, one. No,
0: <laughs> certainly. I don't remember. that. Like, If there's a lady role in that movie, it's very
3: small. And the controversial one of the night, Jason... Uh, is Best Picture, which it wins going up against Elizabeth, Life is Beautiful, The Thin Red Lined, and, of course, Saving Private Ryan. Mm. Yeah, and that still
0: smarts to this day. because, And, and, and it's interesting, because now we have Does 20... Does it smart less? Oh, yeah, I have no, watched absolutely, it now. Absolutely, having seen it, it's a very good movie. But yeah. it's more in the 22 years since, and again, we don't have foresight when this happens at the time. But of course. But in the 22 years since, I don't know that there's a movie in that group that has been more influential on cinema than Saving Private Ryan. And not just influential on cinema, influential on a whole generation of video games as yeah. well. Saving Private Ryan basically set the tone for how World War II has been portrayed in the years since it came out, for good or bad.
3: Yeah, I mean, say what you will about the about either movie, quality-wise, mm. but it definitely fails the Oscar litmus test yes. um, in that it didn't pick the... The movie that we'd be talking about the movie in 20 that, years. The
0: movie that has staying power and relevance in certain ways. Because like like some people would argue that maybe Saving Private Ryan isn't the best war movie ever made. I'd probably agree with that. But it is a really good war movie. And the opening 20 minutes of it are some of the most intense scenes ever committed to film. And, and just such a, uh, what I have to imagine is as close to a realistic re- recreation of the D-Day landings as we're ever going to get to see. Oh, it has to be. Yeah, I mean, the, the, it, it then seems had, unlikely that somebody's going to do a movie about D-Day with doing that specific thing again because it's been done. I mean, what I really liked about the movie Dunkirk was mm. it took a much different approach to D-Day and took a, where where D-Day was a, an Allied triumph in World War II. Dunkirk was one of the Allies' worst defeats. Yeah, and, but we with dunkirk it was seeing the humanity pull through that and where saving Private ryan was more like the humanity was in trying to hunt down this guy to bring him home to his family
3: sorry i shouldn't say dunkirk was about d-day but, you know it kind of was no, like it was, a it, it like was, led up to
0: it right it was, well it was that was in 1941 i think or, okay. or 40 it was like it was early in the war it was basically as the germans were you know stomping their way across france and then the british had to evacuate because they couldn't hold them back
3: at the baftas yes it is nominated for Best Actor for Joseph Fiennes. Uh, won that year by Roberto Benini for Life Is Beautiful. I've still, I've never seen that. And then
0: that's another one. Are this we not really talking? Are
3: we talking about <laughs> Roberto Benini? and funny, Life is yeah, Beautiful?
0: he had that. He had that big bump from this era. We made Life Is Beautiful, which was the movie that I have to assume that the day the clown cried wanted it to be.
3: Yeah, it was super depressing. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's also like that. that uh, he was also like. Everybody loved him for like, a, like about two months. Yeah, and he was, he was that so guy charming like, and he climbed over the God. seats to win his Oscar. It, and... Which uh, Saturday Night Live did a great sketch about that where Ray Romano is playing him and he's uh, he's just doing like these horrific acts of violence and, <laughs> and just like, you know, punching people in the face and chopping people's hands off. And they're like, oh, he's so charming. <laughs> that just reminds me of that. Um, uh, Best Actress it's nominated for, but does, but Gwyneth loses to Kate Blanchett. Ah, well, which yeah. I think is funny that the real Brit... Yeah, <laughs> the, the real Brit has the cred Beats the fake Brit um, I still think Gwyneth does great uh, best supporting actor Jeffrey Rush loses to Jeffrey Rush and yep. Elizabeth <laughs> uh, best director Peter Weir wins for the Truman Show best costume design is won by Velvet Goldmine don't know what that is uh, best production design is, is won by the Truman Show best sound is won by Saving Private Ryan did the
0: Truman Show get no Oscar noms at all?
3: Yeah, Peter Weir was nominated, okay. and so was uh, um, I. Think Ed Harris was nominated for best okay. supporting. Um, where am I here? Uh, best sound was uh, Saving Private Ryan. Best original screenplay was won by The Truman Show. Best makeup and hair was won by Elizabeth, as well as best score. Hmm. It only won three BAFTAs. It won best editing, best supporting actress for Judi Dench, and best film. Best
0: film though, it, you well, know, those, did win. British best film. British are so reserved; they wouldn't go ape shit over something.
3: Uh, they did get yeah, did get nominated for like a billion awards. though. I mean, uh, it just going over some of the critics here. Janet Maslin, New York Times, called it pure enchantment. Oh. She said Gwyneth Paltrow in her first great, fully realized starring performance makes a heroine so breathtaking that she seems utterly plausible as the playwright's guiding light. Roger Ebert gave the movie four out of four stars. He said the contemporary feel of the humor uh like shakespeare's coffee mug which we didn't note this but his coffee mug says souvenir of stratford upon avon (laughs) which is (laughs) great awesome yeah uh makes the movie play like a contest between masterpiece theater and mel brooks then the movie stirs in a sweet love story juicy court intrigue backstage politics and some lovely moments from romeo and juliet is this a movie or an anthology i didn't care i was carried along by the wit the energy and a surprising sweetness yeah So, Jason, to counteract with that surprising sweetness, we have to talk about one man that was uh, a big juggernaut behind this movie, and that is Mr. Harvey Weinstein. Yeah. Um, And tying into the film winning for Best Picture, this is one of the 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 biggest. You know, obviously, many much criticism about it uh, about winning over Saving Private Ryan, Mm -hmm. which was the heavy favorite. It was a summer release. So the only, the only thing I know in the history of the Oscars, the closer you were re- released to, you know, the cutoff, yeah. better chance you have. The, the fresher
0: you are in people's minds, which is why so many prestige pictures come out at Christmas.
3: Some people said it one of the worst winners in the history. I don't think that's true.
0: Uh, yeah, there's worse. Uh, English patient. <laughs>
3: yeah. Um, and many attributed this to Harvey Weinstein's aggressive campaign for the movie.
0: Which Max did a lot those days.
3: Uh, of course, we know Harvey Weinstein mostly now as a man who had uh, like something like sixty or seventy women accuse him of sexual assault.
0: <laughs> yeah,
3: uh, Gwyneth Paltrow actually one of these people. Uh, when she uh, was t- was you know first reporting to him about her 1996 film Emma, he got her to meet her meet him at a hotel. Of course, um, during the meeting, Paltrow said that you know he put his hands on her and he wanted to give her a massage, and she said no. And then you know what it kind of worked out for? I believe Brad Pitt had something to do with that. Hmm. uh, Because eventually he threatened to assault Harvey Weinstein if he ever put his hands on her again.
0: Um... Thankfully, Brad Pitt had enough swing to be able to tell Harvey Weinstein that. Because anybody himself. else would probably have not done it because they knew the kind of pull he had. You know, Brad Pitt's a scary dude. Yeah, like He's a tough looking guy. Yeah, but he was a fucking superstar at yeah. that time. So well, like sure. I say, he was one of the few people that probably could stand up to Harvey Weinstein and not you know, have his career ruined because of it. So one publicist
3: described Harvey's tactics during a campaign season. It's like, I don't remember ever feeling pressure from other studios, like he put the pressure on during campaign season. He would say, can you do these radio call in the morning? Uh, he calls the clients directly and guilt[s] them and says he was really kind of a beast. Uh, this was not saying to the stars, okay, you can go on a couple talk shows to open the movie and do a weekend of interviews at a junket and thanks so much for helping. That was just, good morning, you've got three more months of shaking hands and kissing babies in you. <laughs> like, just tell him what they're going to do. He also ticked off uh, a lot of people in the Academy because he sh- threw this party for John Madden, the director of the film. Uh, a welcome to America party. Mm. And, uh, oh, there just so happened to be some Academy members at this party, Jason. Yeah. <gasps> Who'd, Who'd have thunk imagine? it? Who'd have thunk it? And this is apparently violating a rule in 1997 that said that they, you don't do this
0: Yeah, you can't wine and dine people like that
3: um they also started uh harvey denies this but you know he also denied assaulting you know 45 women mm. um they also tried to uh get everybody to believe via whisper campaigns they would say like oh saving private ryan is nothing after the first 15 minutes like after that <laughs> d-day scene like there's nothing else to the movie uh and Stephen, D- so this executive is talking about this right this press his they anonymous yeah. but they said that they mentioned this to Steven Spielberg they they told him and he basically said listen I, I I'm not surprised yeah. I don't want you to get down in the mud with Harvey Weinstein I'm not going to bother if he wins he wins I'm not going to stoop to his level at
0: that um, point Steven Spielberg is Steven Spielberg so it
3: doesn't fucking matter he's already won an Oscar yeah he doesn't and care he'll probably win another one yeah uh, Roberto Benini took advantage of the the kind of push that uh, Harvey Weinstein would do uh, in particular. Benini moved into l a for a month during the peak of the voting period, mm-hmm. and every night somebody was having a party for him. Roberto made a lot of friends and it won him an acting Oscar
0: and what he 's doing these days?
3: Probably nothing <laughs> uh, he also uh, so just to just to give you an idea of what the kind of what Harvey Weinstein did here. True independent companies might spend up to $250,000 on an Oscar campaign. Miramax was an independent company. Make no mistake mm. about it. They were not making giant budget movies. No. Right? So $250,000 for an independent Oscar campaign. The majors might spend $2 million. Yeah. Miramax is estimated by competitors to have spent at least $5 million on its campaign just for Shakespeare love.
0: But also you you give... a. You think about how much money that movie made at the box office. That I mean, that five million dollars, but that, that is much. aggressive. That is, a, that is an aggressive campaign for sure.
3: Here's some of. The, here's what he also did. He also got the the uh, director of the sound and music, Robert Wise, yes, to write an op ed. Uh, praising, uh, praising Scorsese and Gangs of New York when he was pushing for that to win. Wow. Uh, Miramax in turn used the, the op-ed in ads for the movie with the headline reading two-time Academy Award winner oh, Robert Wise sake. declares Scorsese deserves the Oscar for Gangs of New York. It was later revealed that a Miramax publicist actually wrote it oh, and had the 88-year-old
0: Robert Wise just simply sign it. Robert Wise was always something of a mercenary
3: yeah so this resulted in a ban for ads uh, for for quotes from academy members because he was Smart. also an academy yeah. member oh absolutely another thing um that he did this is just some of the other a couple of the other movies that he heavily campaigned for just to give you an idea yep. of uh also not only is he a piece of shit for assaulting women ladies and gentlemen he's also a piece of shit as a studio executive
2: <laughs> oh that
0: was, that was that was long known <laughs> even beyond the before the women stuff came out
3: yeah exactly um slumdog millionaire was something that was running up against, uh, I don't know if it was running up directly against one of Weinstein's movies, but mm-hmm. it was running. And it was suddenly hit with negative press, implying that its filmmakers had kind of exploited the child actors in the movie, yeah. like the Indian child actors. People just assumed Weinstein was behind that, and he literally, his response was, what can I say? When you're Billy the Kid and people around you die of natural causes, everyone, think you st- everyone thinks you shot them. <laughs> so that, that, that's like a thing he didn't even have anything to do with. And I wonder, wonder if he had around.
0: a guy write that line for him.
2: Yeah.
3: Bob. <laughs> Bob Weinstein, <laughs> Bob's a, Bob's the funny one. Yeah, um, he pushed very hard. There's a movie called The Reader. This is one of this is one of the most troubling ones. Is that Kate Blanchett, uh, Kate Winslet, Kate Winslet. So The Reader, um, of course, this uh, drama about a fo- uh, Kate Winslet plays a, a former Nazi hmm. uh, who is kind of living in shame. Yeah, um, gets discovered by this man gets gets thrown in jail. She gets discovered as well by the police, um, but when the, but he pushed really hard to have the reader released before the end of the year to qualify for the Oscars, uh, so frustrated the producer Scott Rudin, mm. he took his name off the movie.
0: Wow. Also produced by Alan Smithy.
3: Yeah. Um, also he met Weinstein. Mounted a targeted attack focusing on, as Entertainment Weekly explains, the Academy's aging Jewish population by screening the film at Jewish cultural hotspots at the Skirball Center in Los Angeles and the 92nd Street Y in Manhattan. Also, he courted endorsements from the Anti Defamation League as well as Holocaust survivor Ely okay. Weisel. No, no, he had her speak yeah. about them. Or he, sorry. He had him speak about the movie mm. and and presented this, like, oh, look at this lovely presentation I have with this Holocaust
0: survivor just to push the movie. Yeah, no, he would do that. But, I mean, it made sense given the subject matter of the movie. But yeah, it's not a weird in the sense thing that to he set that up drag a Holocaust survivor into promoting your fucking movie.
3: This is the last thing. This is the last one I wrote down. Um, the Weinstein company sent a four-year consideration email to the Hollywood Reporter subscribers and included a quote from critic Thelma Adams. It's been twenty-nine years since Meryl Streep won an Oscar, and she certainly deserves to win for her performance in the Iron Lady. This should have been against the rules because four-year considerations aren't allowed to reference past awards. Oh. Weinstein, however, found a
0: loophole by sending it through a third party. Uh. He is a scumbag. So, so, really, what you're saying is that Harvey Weinstein uh, pioneered a lot of the techniques that are now being used in politics. I'd say they were used before he started doing them, but yeah. Yeah, well, no, I mean, like, he pioneered the modern use of a lot of this stuff because it does sound like, like these targeted attack campaigns, and, and it's where politics has gone very strongly in the yeah. last 20 years. He's a scumbag. Yeah, he's a scumbag.
3: For many reasons. I just wanted to point that out because, like, people ask, like, Oh, like, how did that movie beat that movie? That's probably what happened. What? If you're really not sure about, like, if you're really perplexed by why this movie would beat this
0: movie, that's a lot of times what happens. He he let Kevin Smith make movies, so I uh, give him that, but that's it. If he didn't, somebody else would have. Yeah, probably. I hope so. <laughs> Kevin Smith still would have made Clerks. <laughs> well, he wouldn't make Clerks anyways because he made it on his own. Whether he made any more movies after that, that would be the question. I think Clerks had enough of a
3: cult uh Yeah, oh yeah, it absolutely it did, up. for sure. Maybe not after Mallrats. Maybe he need a little perk up
0: after <laughs> that. Um, they're making a... I, I heard they're going to make a sequel to Mallrats. Like a, it might even be like a TV show. Don't know. But I'm all for it. I wow. like Mallrats. Really? Yeah. I love that movie. But Jason, now that we talked about the horrible
3: human being, Harvey Weinstein, yeah. we talked about the wonderful movie... Everything else,
0: what do you think about this movie? This movie was fun. It was a fun watch, it was entertaining, it was a little too long, as is the case with Shakespeare. Uh but overall I enjoyed myself. And I'm glad that I busted the myth in my mind of what this movie was. Yeah. I mean, you think it was too long? I think it was like two hours. It was fine. It just felt a little too long to me. But yeah. uh, just because it was a comedy and it was like two hours and fifteen minutes long. But it was only two hours.
3: I'm gonna say this. This is gonna be crazy. This is my number one film in the no. <laughs> um I think I liked this better than Elizabeth.
0: Yeah. I definitely more entertaining.
3: Did not expect to say that. Yeah. I really thought, I really thought this was going to be another English patient situation. Mm. I was like, all right, let's get the bottom of the list already. I don't know what I'm going to hate more. (laughs) Like I got all that. That's the mindset I went Mm. into this with. I really enjoyed it. I think every single actor in this movie is fucking nailing it. Yes. Uh, they're at the top of their game. And I think credit, credit, all credit is due to the director, John Madden. We didn't yeah. even talk about him, but if he managed to wrangle all these actors and pull out the best performances out of everyone, yeah. that's a credit to the director. Oh, absolutely. And it, uh, and and, Mark, and you said uh, um, Mark Stoppard? Tom Stoppard. Tom Stoppard. Like a wonderful writing. Yeah. Uh, it, it is a love letter to Shakespeare. Yes. It's... it's in love with Shakespeare. It is. It really.
0: It should. That's what it should be called. Right?
3: Yeah. Um, the Shakespeare Endgame. <laughs> that's what it is.
0: <laughs> but no, this is. Yeah. If, if you're a Shakespeare fan, you you can't. Th- this movie's made for you.
3: And I will say that out of all the Shakespeare
0: stuff we watched, this is definitely the most enjoyable. Yeah, I, I said to my wife uh, as we finished watching this movie. Well, shit. I'm glad. I'd rather watch that than watch Romeo and Juliet again. You <laughs> didn't watch Romeo? And no,
3: no. I mean in my life. <laughs> okay. I was like, Jason, what are you doing? Not watching movies <laughs> are on the list. It's the only movies you can watch.
0: That's right. I'm not allowed to watch movies anymore. Sorry. It's British movies made in the 90s and 1917.
3: Before. I've got to neuralize <laughs> that from your Remember? That's right. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, that shit. That was... Uh, that was I,
0: I'm surprised. by. Yeah, no. I, we were both surprised. And it's good. I like when that happens when a movie just kind of surprises us like that. Yeah. And especially when, as I said before, they had these, these preconceived notions that we've had for 22 years about what this movie is and what it represented and the fact that it defeated a movie that was very important to me. Mm-hmm. And it turns out it's actually pretty good, and, and it's understandable why it won.
3: Yeah, and you're like you still you're still Team Private Ryan, but you're yeah. not as bothered. No, Ryan.
0: absolutely not. No, I, I think it was uh, like I say, it was it was a, a fun movie to win that year. Because how often do really fun movies win the Oscar for Best Picture? I mean, was Schindler's List fun? Uh, to a certain type of person that I don't <laughs> tend to associate with.
3: Okay, well, see you later. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Jason, now that we talked about Shakespeare in Love in what I think, for me anyway, is the most surprising episode we've ever done. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, we are going to roll the dice. I am going to roll the dice. Yes, it's your see- turn. And see... What film we're going to talk about next week? Ooh, it's always the most exciting time of the week, folks. I so do, we roll that dice. I do like this. I have the the green die, which you can see in the in the camera microphone. Look close. Is the tens d10, mm-hmm. and I have a red ones d10, mm-hmm. and I'm going to roll them to see what number on the BFI Top 100 that we are going to talk about next week.
0: Do you know why those dice are red and green? Christmas. That's right, because every time we roll them, it's fucking Christmas morning, baby! Hell yeah! Alright. Hell yeah, bitch! That's fucking right, bro!
3: You ready? I'm ready. You willing? I'm able. Clark Gable? You know it. 20.
0: 20. Alright, we are in the 20s, and we've got a couple in there. Five, maybe. Okay. 26. 26. We already saw it was the crying game. Alright, here
3: we go again.
0: Alright, let's do this.
3: I'm gonna try not to roll the crying game
0: 20 20 again all right here we go folks 21 21 is 1980's The Long Good Friday, directed by John Mackenzie. Ooh, a Bob Hoskins gangster film. Oh, I, do, I know nothing about this movie, and uh, knowing that means I'm in. Bob Hoskins. <laughs> wait, wait a second. <laughs> if it was <laughs> anything else, be, I'm I'd, done. I've <laughs> done this podcast. Uh, Bob Hoskins
3: and Helen Mirren. All right. And it's a, cool. it's a gangster flick. That's Sweet. what I know. I love a good gangster flick. Uh, so, yeah, okay. The Long Good Friday. Wow, 21. Yep. We could, we're doing a lot of, like... Upper,
0: yeah, we're getting there. Like
3: higher ones, uh, this 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 round of twenty. Try carry on, carry on up the Kyber. Still waits for us. (laughs) (laughs) You, oh. Yeah, there are some there are some uh, some beasts on this list yes. that we haven't covered yet that are just staring at us. Mm-hmm. And every time I roll, I'm like, Aah. oh, here we go. But we could
0: always get Money Python and the Holy Grail. So that still hasn't come up yet. Wait, is that on this list?
3: Yes. Holy Grail.
0: Holy Grail is, is Life of Brian. Life of
3: Brian way? is. Sorry. Yeah. No, not, not not not
0: the Holy Grail. Yeah. Life of Brian. There it is. Because yeah. yeah. it was 28. So I was kind of like had my fingers crossed. Uh, not, <laughs> not today. But yeah, we'll talk about uh, the Long Good Friday.
3: Yes. Two? OK. Yeah, I don't know much about it either. Um, we'll let you know next week, folks. We will let you know in depth, but until then, Jason, I'm going to say that you can uh, you can find us on Facebook. Just search for Force Screen and Country, and on Twitter at BFI
0: underscore Pod. And you can find Jason on Twitter at Jason D McLeod. That's M A C L E O D as I tweet about tweetable tweets.
3: And most of his most of his tweets are sonnets. I'm, just <laughs> a,
0: I'm starting to work on that. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I my wife keeps telling me I need to start writing in a meter. Yeah. Mm. Iambic Iambic Pent
3: uh, No, you said a meter, and I said the the version oh, of the Iambic meter I would like yes. to use Iambic Pentem. I will start. Thank you. Good bit, <laughs> fun bit. Ah, uh, but until then, Jason, I've got to say to you, "God save the queen." God save the screen, and for screen and country, I'm Brendan. I'm
0: Jason. Shakespeare. Shakespeare is in
2: love.
1: Yeah, ha <laughs> ha.
2: It's a little bit funny. This is your song It may be quite simple but Now that it's done I hope you don't mind I hope you don't mind That I put down in words How wonderful life is Now you're in the world If I was a skull it's late, it's time, let's check our cue, baby Pair it with a couple brews, baby We love good movies We love the bad ones too so we watch them all and pass their ooh, lessons on to you. Ooh, oh yeah.
3: Ban a ban up and ounce.
2: Boo. Everything I learned from movies. Helps to make life a little bit groovy. With a one last black holes like a two-less boot It's time to get busy with your friend Steven Lizzie
1: at eilfm.podbean.com